0: Okay, today is Tuesday, October 3rd, 2017, and we are going to start the third class in the Hagdama of Mishneh Torah using, again, the Makbili edition. References to Halachot are from this Makbili edition. So yesterday we spoke about the chain of tradition and each generation that passed to the next one and we ended up with the generations of Rabbi Uda Hamasi who compiled, composed, published the Mishnah, and then to the generations making up what we know as the period of the Amoraim, um in the in the Gemara time, in Babylon, and then we summed up the 40 generations as the Jacob of Adia reminded me yesterday the 40 generations. And it's interesting that the word 40 is also the number of days Moshe Rabbeinu spent at Har Sinai. And it's also the number of years the Jewish people spent. Halachim Call elu hachamim All of these sages we mentioned, they were the greatest of their generations. Some of them were heads of, yeshivot means uh, assemblies, uh, academies of some sort. Some of them were the actual political leaders, the presidents of the communities, and some of them Actually, were members of the Sanhedrin, of the Supreme Court of Justice of Am Israel. I don't think these are the only ones reported that we mentioned. These were the most distinguished ones. But with them, in every generation, there were there were um, that There were there were thousands and tens of thousands of them that also were part of this chain of transmission, generation after generation. Kavpet, Rabbeinah v'Rav Asheh, whom we mentioned yesterday, they are the end of the sages that made the Talmud. And it's Rav Asheh, the one who compiled, who composed, the Babylonian Talmud in Eretz Ar, that's another word for the actual geographical area of Babylon. Aharshe Ber, the Biohanan Talmud, a Yerushalmi bichmome Ashana. This was about 100 years after the Biohanan had compiled, composed the Jerusalem Talmud, the, the Palestinian Talmud. And this is significant, that it's about a hundred years later, because this gives more authority to the Talmud Bavli. Not only, as we are going to see soon, the way by which the Talmud Bavli was composed was a way that lends itself to... that that, uh, gives it a lot of authority with respect to Am Israel as a whole, but also the fact that it had the hindsight had 100 years of having known about the Talmud Yerushalmi gives it the, the benefit of of, uh, of overriding. So in the sense, if Rav Ache says something against what the Talmud Yerushalmi says, it's not because they were not aware of Talmud Yerushalmi, but it's because they had 100 years to consider it and yet they decided to go the other way. <coughs> If I may just add, it's also because Rabbeinah was from Eretz Israel and he was part of that Masorah of the Yerushalmi. And Rabina was from Eretz Israel. that's part of what we are going to speak about, of uh, why Talmud is authoritative. But the point that was being made right now was that the fact that there is a hundred years in between also helps the Talmud Bavli override from the Yerushalmi. The enyan, the meaning, the, the point, the function of these two Talmudin is, or maybe the theme of these two Talmudim is two things. Number one, Pirush, the word Pirush in Hebrew, like Lifros, means to expand. It means to, to unfold something that it's called lifros. So pirush is when you have a sentence, then you unfold its meaning. You open all of its corners, you see it from this angle, from that angle, you really expand it. That's lifrosh. Ubeur amukoteha and the the delving deep into its roots. Again beur, like we mentioned yesterday, it's from the word beer, it's a it's a vertical word when you go down, you know, dig down into the ground to create a well that is Be'ur. So to the Talmud, Yerushami, and the Talmud Aviv, what they do is they, they do two things with the Mishnah. They bring they bring references and they bring information and they explore angles as if it were horizontally to expand the scope of what's being discussed, to compare it with other sources, etc. And then, Be'ur HaMukotecha, also, go deep into it and to understand how the Mishnah sometimes relates to the Pesukim, how the Mishnah relates to some of the of the actual statements that considered it in uh, in the Baraitot, and so forth. And also things that were were uh, taught for the first time in every generation, in every in every court, from the time of Rabbeinu HaKadosh, the period the and until the composition of the Talmud. And from all of these books, two Talmuds, which is, which is a composition that we said before, which is composed, which is three times as long as the Mishnah, and the Sifra, and the Sifre, those are the three books that Rav composed with Midrashim, with actual um, actual discussions or summaries of discussions on the Pesukim. We mean at Toseftot. Toseftot probably here refers to the Tot that we mentioned before. And those extraneous, those additional um, statements that were not made part of the Mishnah. Mikulam itbaer haasur This is now a keyword, mikulam. From all of them, from their aggregate, from all of them together, if you were to know all of them together, you could know, itbaer haasur what is permitted, what is forbidden. what is pure and what is pure. who is liable, who is not liable, what is uh, fit, what is unfit. This is how you know. So you want to know what Torah Sheb is. You want to know what the mental law is. You you have the Torah. You read the Pesukim, the Torah Shebikhtav, the written law, and you want to know, okay, so I know there have been 40 generations of development of what this means. Some things have been passed down in those forty generations, one generation to the next, and some other things, were actually contributed anew in one of those generations. I want to know the bottom line. So, from all of that, what is the conclusion? So, Harimba is making the point here. Well, to know that, which is a pretty, it's a pretty ambitious project, you'd need to know all of these books that were composed. Only in a few generations, really, since the Birod HaNasin and Teor Rav Asheh, and from all of those, from their aggregate, if you knew all of those, ju- just so you have an idea that Talmud has over a million words, it's huge, Talmud Bavli. But if you were to know all of those, you'd know the bottom line of what need, of what ought to be done according to the Torah Sh'tichtah. Kaftarit. גם יתבאר مهم דברים שגזרו חמים ודברים שבחודד ודור לאסור צייר על תורה. כי משה שמעוני משמר בפילוש ושמרתם למשמרתי. שיאמר, אסומישמרת למשמרתי. לא משרהבינו על התורה, הצד אסומישמרת, משכוש מרתם למשמרתי, הצד. ובבריא אולמ ג'די התורה says to 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 the of Israel, you shall safeguard that which ought to be safeguarded, or that which I have safeguarded. And Hamim learned from here that there is a sort of like a mandate for everyone with responsibility, with authority in every generation to make sure that the actual laws from the Torah are never breached. And in order to do that, sometimes they expand the scope of what can be done, what cannot be done. As an example, says, you may not cook a, uh, a kid of a goat or a cow, of any of these three animals, a kid of a farm animal in the milk of its mother. He it doesn't say anything about chicken, but came sages in the times of Rybi Akiva, and they said, in our generation, if you go to the supermarket and you ask for meat, linguistically speaking, the word meat, the word basar, includes beef, it includes steak, it includes all the meat that is included by the Torah statement, but in the minds of people, in the consciousness of our generation, it also includes poultry, it also includes chicken, So let us decree that chicken also should be forbidden just like meat is forbidden. And that's what they did. So that's an example of a fence that they built around this ordinance of not eating and not cooking meat, beef with milk. So how do we prevent people from actually going and doing it with beef? We also forbid the chicken, which is sort of like Safeguarding the original statement. So, all of these kinds of additions that have been added through the generations also are part of what you can infer from these books that we mentioned. Now, we just spoke about one category of what each of these 40 generations could have added to the Torah. They could have forbade something new, in order to prevent people from violating the actual words of the Torah, <clears throat> there is two other things with which the Beddin, the the the, the representatives of Am Israel in every generation, the official legal representatives, can do. One is called Minhagot, and the other one is called Tekanot. Minhagot it means um, traditions. And in Minhargoth's traditions is things that start with the people. The people start doing something, nobody tells them to do it. But let's say the people decide, uh, we are so um, sorry for the destruction of the Bethamikdash HaMikdash, of the Temple, or we are so sorry for that Gedaliah ben Ahikam, the leader of the Judea after the destruction by Babylonians of the Temple, was murdered by one of our own, thereby causing the rest of the population of Judea to have to escape, because that happened, we are going to start fasting this specific day every single year. So the people started. Now comes the court and says, you know what? This tradition, this custom that was started is a very appropriate one, it's a very good one. Let's make it official. And then they come, they put their seal, of, uh, of office, they make it official, and that is minhagot. That's what becomes minhagot. Third category of things that can be added in a generation is tekanot. Tekana is an institution, an, institu- an instituted practice. So there is some things that we practice, things that we do, actual rites, actual rituals, that are not written anywhere in the Torah. Very easy example, lighting the candles of Hanukkah. Did Moshe Rabbeinu talk about that? Of course not. He didn't leave through the the Greeks and Hellenism and what happened with the Hashem and the Maccabim. So the Torah does not deal with this act that comes to commemorate something uh, thousands of years after Moshe Rabbeinu. But the Beddin. The court of those times instituted this as a legal practice. It's not that the people started it, the court decided this is now what we are going to start doing, and this becomes part now of Turashablante. So, the difference between Minhagot and Tekanot is who started it. Minhag is something that the people start and the Beddin come and give their seal of officialization, and Tekanai is something that the Beddin. Starts themselves, the court starts themselves. Like the court of that generation will have seen fit. And it's something that the Torah itself, the written Torah provides for, that we, the population, must obey what this court says. In other words, the authority to create these things, the authority for the novelties, for the additions that are Done by the sages, by any of these forty generations, is provided for in the Torah itself. In other words, if I decide to not light the candles of Hanukkah, I am in fact violating and going against what the written Torah, given by Moshe Rabbeinu, says. Ah, Moshe Rabbeinu could not have told you about Hanukkah because that happened thousands of years later. Yet, yeah, but Moshe Rabbeinu of course, as a, as a messenger of, of God, he said that everything the representatives in this system of Torah Shabbat Alpe that God had given to him at Har Sinai the mitzvah, everything that they say, lotasur we may not deviate from it. Mikol ha'davar she'lekiyul from all the things that they shall tell you, left or right, kaf Dalet. mishpatim. Now we come some to something that is extremely, extremely, extremely important. Uh, there is two versions here, one as we are reading Dinim the other one in the printed editions is Dinim muflain And what this means is Again, the Torah says something, the written Torah says something in the text, and Am Israel is tasked, tasked with interpreting it. Now, what happens with all the details that are not yet defined? So let me give you an example. The Torah says, Basukot shibat yamin. Kol be'israel basukot. The Torah says, you shall for seven days, inhabit in the huts, like we are about to in the holiday of Sukkot. You have to leave your home and go inside the sukkah. And every free man in Israel needs to, must live in in the sukkah. Now, from this statement, even with any elaborations and interpretations that might have come up generation after generation, in the times of the Mishnah, I'm going to give you an example that the Mishnah brings. There was one detail that had never been discussed, and that is how tall can the sukkah be? If I make a sukkah that is a thousand feet tall, is that still within the word sukkah? Is that something that can satisfy what the Torah says? So when we don't when we don't know the answer to any question about how to read the pasuk. That is called din mufla, or din peli, or like, like it says here, it means a, uh, an an undefined an undefined detail, an undefined detail. In theory, there could be infinite undefined details. Was Moshe Rabbeinu told whether a sukkah that is very tall can be kasher or not? No, he wasn't told. If he had been told, and, or maybe he was told but didn't pass it down, it, it's irrelevant to us. If we had that tradition, it would no longer be an undefined detail. It's undefined because nobody until now answered that question. Is there a right or wrong answer? Well, yes, there are some wrong answers and the wrong answers are things that are completely outside the scope of possible readings that this pasuk lends itself to. Like for example, if the Hacham came and said, well, sukkah really means something totally different, and this goes against, it's not presented by any of the hermeneutical tools that we described yesterday, and it's against what the Jewish people as a whole, the subconscious of the Jewish people is ready to accept, that is what's called the Rasha Dofi. that is something that is an interpretation that is a faulty interpretation. Not because of the conclusion, but by the way it's presented, and because it goes outside the scope of possible meanings, and that's no good. However, within the scope of what. So let, let, let's understand practically what's going to happen. So now the Jewish court is going to gather the assembly, and they're going to have <clears throat> two positions. One position will say, well, I think the sukkah, according to the Torah, should be as tall as you want. Another position is going to say, no, there has to be a limit, there's a limit, and each of them is going to present their case. They're going to present their case by citing Pesukim and using some of the tools that we described yesterday, like, for example, Calvah Homer. They can use tools like Gezerah Shavah, they can use other references in the Torah to show how the same word in a different context means something that can instruct this discussion, and so forth, and so on. And then there is going to be a vote. And after the vote, however we come out, that becomes the meaning of the pasuk. If it was an undefined detail, it thereafter becomes defined by this process. And what happens after it's defined? Well, the court goes out and promulgates this meaning to the rest of the people. Now, imagine, for example, that the court says something that in the mind of the people is outrageous, like it did happen. And Josephus mentions this, mentions this, he hints to it. In the times of the Hashmonaim, before Hanukkah, the court was very Hellenized. The Supreme Court, one given Supreme Court for a few years, was extremely assimilated. And they wanted to cooperate with the Greeks in anything they could. The Greeks really wanted a statue of Zeus, of Zeus inside the Jewish temple, which of course we cannot do came the Bed-Din, the Sanhedrin, and they said, okay, let's make this be a Din Mufla. Let's, let's consider this an undefined term, and we are going to now uh, open the session, trying to define a certain detail in the Torah so that we change the bottom line law to make it permissible to bring, to bring Zeus inside the Bed Hamikdash. What did they say? They said, they said the Torah says, the Torah says, you may not make for yourselves images of gold or of silver. Look, gold or silver. Let's put it up to a vote. If this means that we can take the inference that any statue that's made out of stone is permissible. They did that. And by doing that, they went way outside the scope of what the general public, Am Israel, who is also, is also part of this process, was willing to accept which resulted in the revolution of the Hashmonaim. The revolution was against the establishment, including the Sanhedrin of that time. And uh, they, 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 they did not accept that, of course, and, and uh, Hanukkah commemorates this every single year. But other than that, the Nimuflaim of Laim are an extremely, extremely powerful tool by which the Supreme Court by which the Jewish people is entitled to modify the bottom line of how to apply the Torah. And once a din muflah is resolved, was an undefined term, so let's go back to our initial example. The machlok in the Mishnah, as recorded, <clears throat> is between Rabbi Erudan, representing the minority opinion, probably with other people that we don't know about, and Hachamim we don't know who among Hakamim I mean, because it ended up being more people than the people that were with Rabbi Yehudah. Rabbi Yehudah said, I think, guys, that a sukkah can be as tall as you want. And you can still fulfill what the Torah says, you must inhabit the sukkot for seven days. Come Hakamim and say, no, actually the Yehudah, our position is a sukkah needs to be limited, it needs to be limited to a height, that we know is a height that people are still conscious of, and we think that that height should be 20 a month, 20 cubits. They take it to a vote, and they resolve, and each one of them, by the way, brings proofs from different verses. Not proofs, we're not trying to know what the pasuk actually means, but it's tools of trying to convince others that your position is a legitimate. Sorry, I was being muted. Joey, I think you're muting me by accident. And therefore, from now and on, the halacha, the rule, as passed down by these 40 generations to us, is that when the Torah says, in the Sukkot you must inhabit for seven days, this means that It must be a sukkah that does not exceed 20 cubits. And if you sit in a sukkah, if you live in a sukkah that's 21 cubits, although this title was never discussed until the time of Rabbi Yehudah and his peers, you are in fact not fulfilling what the Torah says, because the Torah is supposed to be applied, it's supposed to be done, practiced by what the hachamim say. So that is the nim that's just uh, to review this we the long tangent, Also, all the the legal conclusions and the undefined terms that were not, I repeat, they were not received down in tradition from Moshe Rabbeinu. rather, this was discussed, this was debated, this was presented, this was treated in session. By one of those courts, by not one of those courts, by the great, by the Supreme Court of Justice of that generation. And it was presented through one of those hermeneutical tools, one of those um, one of those tools that <clears throat> that 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 presents a sentence as being the meaning of the Pasuk. <inaudible> and then they, they concluded. That court, by majority vote, that this is what the term should be defined as. All of that also is part of what Rav Asher concluded in the Talmud, in the in the Talmud Bavli, in the Gemara, from the times of Moshe and until his own very days. I'm going to go and a few halachot a little faster. And, and then uh, we are going to finish the tomorrow. And kaf vav the hiburu mishnah hiburi And now, so Aramam is opening a parenthesis. Now, you should know all we said about is about the compositions of law halakha, There is another genre that was also dealt with by the sages of that generation, and that genre, frankly, is not relevant to halacha. Um, so just, okay. Um, so the, the, it, it's just to, to interpret uh, what the Torah means, but not from a legal point, just from a, a uh, an interpretative point. to try to understand and to expand upon the Torah. So Rabbi student of Rabbi Kadosh, he compiled an interpretation of the book of Bereshit. The Bishmashel did what's Torah. called the one of which is a midrash, a compilation of interpretations from the Book of Shemot through the rest of the Torah. We can go back one of his own Mechilta, parallel to the Bishmashel's one. other sages also put together midrashot like Rabbi Bita uh, These uh, interpretations, the Akol matan all of that also preceded the Tamudavli. It's important because someone might come and say, hey, yeah, Tamudavli says that we have to do ABC, but I saw in this Midrash from Shemot that it says we should do actually DEF. So you tell this person, my friend Rav Ashe was already aware of this Midrash. Putting aside the fact that this Midrash is not legally binding, you Should also know Rav Ashe had the benefit of having known this because he was the last one, and therefore, if he decided to say ABC, it's because after considering DEF, it's still ABC, and that's why we should do ABC. Kav We have, therefore, that Rabbenah, again, as Joy mentioned, he, he's from Eretz Israel, representing the tradition of Eretz Israel, the Rab Ashe, and he's uh, really his uh, his teacher, Rav uh the, the, the head of the academy at that point in Babylon, the and their peers. They are the last ones of the great Hachamim, the great sages of Israel, the ones that, and now we have the three things that they are responsible for the ones that pass down generation to generation, the, one tasked, the ones tasked with transmitting the traditions as we respond. Received them as we accumulated them from Osher Aben until then. Number two, v'she gazru gazerot v'hitkino tekanot v'inigum inagot, and that they 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 fenced new fences. They they created new prohibitions. Hitkino tekanot. They instituted new. They instituted new um um rights. V'inigum inagot, and they approved a new some uh, some traditions with shtugezerotam vetakanotam umenhagotam and their gzerot hagim expanded they became popular bechol israel bechol makomot among all of israel everywhere they lived okay so we have two things here number one they were in fact part of this unbroken chain of tradition number two and perhaps more important, they were in fact accepted, which means, which proves the point that they functioned as representatives. They were accepted by, and they functioned as representatives of all of Am Israel. So they had behind them the consensus of Am Israel. So think about this for a second. Is the deal we have with God, with Hashem. Is okay, Am Israel. I give you 311,000 letters, what we know as the scroll that you find in Anibet Knesset. That's what Borea Ulam provides. You may not change that. This is forever. Not one letter, nothing changes ever. But you are tasked with making sense of these letters, with telling everyone what these letters mean. You are tasked with it. I'm not going to interfere with this process. And then, to Moshe Ben we gave a system that is the misbah through which this can be achieved. But it's a flexible system. So, in fact, anything that all of Am Israel decides the Torah means, the Torah means. That is a deal that we have. Anything Am Israel decides the Torah means, the Torah means. Which means? If Am Israel has representatives, and Am Israel, the people of Israel, agree to these representatives, and these representatives say the Torah means A, B, C, and Am Israel accept this interpretation, henceforth this is what the Torah means. Not because God meant it; God is not in the business to give meaning to the Torah, but because we, Am Israel, collectively decided or agreed. That is what this means. And that is why it's complicated. And Harmam is going to make the point now. It's a very complex thing to try to know the bottom line. Okay, so but what should I do? I just want to know what to do. Should I build a sukkah that is 20 a month or a sukkah that's a little taller than that? How can I know what the bottom line is? So as Haramam described it, you really need to have access to forty generations of discussions and of additions and of accumulation of knowledge, which is and a, a, a very daunting task. It's almost an impossible task. And now Rav is going to say exactly what he did and why he did it. I'm going to read one more halakha, we'll stop. And then after Rav Ashe, who compiled the Babylonian Talmud in the times of his son, Mor as we mentioned him, Ugmaro, Gmaro. Like the word Gemara means, and it was approved, it was approved by some formal process in their academy, in their conventions that they had, what's called the Arhekalab, which we're not going to talk about right now, but something you should be aware of. The Arhekalab, they approved this again by a majority vote, just like Rabbi Yehuda had the argument with Hachamim about whether the Sukkah can be told and then the 20 Amot, and they decided by a majority vote, so too they decided by a majority vote to adopt. The Gemara, as the new authoritative book that summarizes the forty generations of Torah shebe'al what happened afterwards is during that time there were several political revolutions around the world. Am Israel started scattering to farther and farther communities: North Africa, Spain. They went to faraway places and continents. The, 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 the military upheaval was very disruptive in the world. It was not easy to travel from one place to the other. People were not studying Torah as much for obvious reasons. And they no longer, I'm Israel no longer gathered in conventions of thousands and tens of thousands of people that, as they used to have. Hanabami here is hinting to how large the conventions used to be in the times of the Gemara, they would meet actually twice a year. People would work for 10 out of 12 months every year, and two months a year, the month of Elul and the month of, um, I believe it's, uh, Adar. Adar, Adar, Yes, at the month of Adar, they they leave everything behind. The business that they go to, to, to these conventions to to Torah. but they could no longer do that. There were no uh, good roads, etc. rather uh, small groups would gather. the Kore, the 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 individual ones that Korea Olam inspires. in every city, in every precinct. And they deal with the Torah, and they try to understand all of these books that we just mentioned, the Gashim, the Gemarot, the Mishnah, etc. And it's from those that they can derive what the Derecha Mishpat is, what the right path of the law is. It's also a very important term, Derecha Mishpat, which we are not going to discuss. Um, and I, I want to leave Kahtet for tomorrow because it's a very, very important halakha, really summarizing what the authority of the Talmud is. So we stopped on before halakha came.